to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting live from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded, ancestral, and traditional Muslim territory in Vancouver. I'm your host, Sarah Unjo, and I have Ruby with me Hello. in studio. Hi. <laughs> and we have a wonderful show for you today. As always. Yes, of course, as always. <laughs> um, we're going to start with Ruby's review of Beautiful Man, presented mm-hmm. by The Cult, and then we're going to go into a little bit of an interview, a little bit of something different. So I went to a gallery tour at the Polygon, and I was thankfully allowed to um, record the gallery tour because it was curator-led. And so I'm going to play you a little edited-down version of the gallery tour because it was pretty long, and I don't want you <laughs> sitting here just listening to a like, 40-minute long audio of the curators talking Rather about it. Rather than just going to the yeah. tour. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we have an interview with Cameron McKenzie, the director of a play called Men Express Their Feelings. And I'll also talk about Cloud Album, which is the the exhibition at the Polygon that I just talked mentioned um, a little bit myself, but yeah, before all of that, we have we yes. have Ruby, Ruby's review of Beautiful Man. Yes, thank you. So I saw Beautiful Man about two weeks ago. It was part of FemFest at the Colch, mm-hmm. and um, I love FemFest in full support of FemFest. Yeah, um, and with beautiful man i thought it was a really original idea basically the premise was three women on stage are talking about a movie they saw um and they're sort of describing this generic cop who comes home at the end of the day and uh but she she's a woman and all of the all of the tropes you would normally see about men in movies are flipped and she's got a boyfriend who's like you forgot my anniversary which I thought that was a good joke because yeah. that happens too often in yeah movies. Like, writers <laughs> get really lazy um but and I, I really liked the idea it was really original however I felt like after the first five minutes of them talking about it mm-hmm. we all got the point oh you know so like I just think that they could have executed it a little differently. Yeah. Because it did feel like at times they were sort of talking at us mm-hmm. rather than um, engaging with a written text that we could watch and take in. Yeah. Um, and then what the staging was actually really original as well. So they had the three women in the front mm-hmm. basically talking to themselves about what movies what had happened in this movie Mm -hmm. and then in the background was a man who was sort of acting out what they were some of the stuff they were describing like I said before it was stuff you'd typically see women portrayed as and this time it was the man who was being portrayed this way yeah and um that was also really cool so there were definitely elements of the show that were really cool really original um that I really appreciated Mm -hmm. however the like I said the execution wasn't great just because Everyone in the audience, everyone who comes to the show understands that this is what life is like for women. They understand mm-hmm. that these portrayals are common in the media. So it sort of felt like this play was for uh, people who needed to be educated on this topic. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Because they yeah. also then they had at the end this 15-minute monologue from the man who had been sort of gyrating in the back. Yeah. Um, where it was sort of a monologue from a female's perspective, what it's like to go out at night and dress up and wear makeup and walk see a group of men when you're walking home. Mm-hmm. But it it was all stuff that I felt I already understood as a woman. Yeah. And that most of the people in this audience understood if they're coming to FemFest and engaged in, in this type of show. So it it would be like a great play to show to like high school boys about yeah. like oh what yeah. the, what a woman's experience would be like but I just felt like it no one in the audience was learning something new or taking mm-hmm. something new away after watching this show mm-hmm. um so I mean maybe perhaps they could stage it you know at a middle school or something yeah um and be like in the most basic of terms this is what it's like for women because that is sort of how I experienced the play mm-hmm. um which was too bad but at the same time like I said, I, I also got all those great little pieces of staging mm-hmm. and uh, feeling like this was a really original idea I hadn't seen before. So I did really appreciate that. Yeah. And um, I'm always in support of FemFest. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to go back to FemFest next year. Yeah. 
the do you think the the reason that this play felt that way for you was it how it was written or how it was kind of put on like the production itself do you think for example if this so not considering beautiful man being put for middle schools you know (laughs) 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 trying to maybe um make it more appealing to an audience our age our Mm. you know demographic Mm. um how do you think that could be um better do you have that's a great question um i think uh, i think probably it was in the writing i think Mm -hmm. it was that the the joke of oh the genders are flipped in this movie and we're commenting on all the tropes we see about women but this time we're explaining it as if it's a man yeah that got really old really fast Mm. so i think if they had moved on from that joke from that um they sort of dug themselves into a hole in terms of that was the whole play that was the whole like like way in which they were making the social commentary Mm -hmm. if they had stopped that after five minutes and chosen a different avenue to explore those themes um that wasn't in the context of them watching a gender flipped movie Mm -hmm. i think that that would have been a lot more effective just because uh you know it, it wouldn't have been so um so exhausting to watch yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i understand that that that's so frustrating though because we've been talking about the plays that the culture presents so Mm -hmm. like oh my god (laughs) we (laughs) hit your mic (laughs) for the listener she hit her mic (laughs) we've been talking about different plays you talked about um Oh my god, what was it called? Seasick. Seasick, yeah. yeah. Which was really cool yeah. that the culture put on, yeah. And Lua talked about another one. We've been having so many good shows from the culture yeah. that I'm I'm genuinely surprised that you didn't enjoy it as much as I thought you would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. not everything can be Not amazing. everything yeah. is amazing. And who knows, maybe someone else, like this really spoke to them and this really felt yeah. like... They were like, oh, my story's being seen. You know, like another person could have interpreted this that way. It's like, oh, finally, someone's talking about an experience that I feel like I've been having, but no one's talking about. Yeah. I just personally feel like we've all talked about that experience, but maybe someone else doesn't. And maybe they took that away from that. That's so true. I mean, as much as, you know, we do reviews and we try to keep some stuff objective, we do have our own views. And this is just how you think about yeah. this play. So maybe... Um, it can be, you know, it spoke, as you said, it spoke to someone else and maybe they enjoyed it. And I would have said, maybe you go decide for yourself. But it unfortunately ended. Yeah. So, Which is, yeah. They have, they have more. They, they have, have more lots up. more stuff. Yeah. And this, what I love about the cultures, they're really putting on edgy stuff. It's not just like family has an argument play (laughs) (laughs) you know or like old southern woman has opinions play yeah it's it's really edgy it's really different it's very diverse there's a a whole array of different stories being told from a diverse group of storytellers so definitely go check out the culture because it's really really cool and um yeah they're they're just putting out great stuff right now yeah and just as always, the reminder, the cult is spelled C-U-L-T-C-H. Um, but yeah. Cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So whenever I type the cult, it corrects us to the clutch. And I'm like, oh. Nope, nope, nope. No, no, no. <laughs> the or the historic the theater. It's like the yeah. historic theater slash the cult. Yeah. So if you want to go look up that stuff, because tickets are also fairly priced. Yeah. And the shows are good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else you want to mention about Beautiful Man before we go into I would just like to say the actors were great. Yes. All the all the performances were really good. It's just I didn't feel the writing had like a lot of depth of character, mm-hmm. but the actors did a lot with with what they had which which was also really great. Yeah. And then finally, I just want to give a shout out to my mom. <laughs> Who's shout listening? Out. Shout out! Shout out to Marissa Tomei. Oh my God! She's not actually childless. Mom. Just kidding! It's my mom. It's not Marissa Tomei. <laughs> Hi, mom. Thank you for listening. <laughs> yes, Hello. Thanks, mom. <laughs> my mom's also listening. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Oh Today's waving. She's in the studio because yeah. she's visiting from Turkey. So yeah. Hi. Today is today is for an it's episode for, for the mothers. Yeah. Sixteenth and a day for the mom. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much uh, for coming in and 
spending your time honestly seeing something that yeah. you didn't enjoy as much as other things but mm. that's you know you get to see different things and mm -hmm. you get to form your opinion on what you like and what you don't like this way exactly so it's not always negative yeah. but yeah so let's go into my interview with Cameron McKenzie mm -hmm. he is the director of men express their feelings that's going to be presented at the fire hall arts center and we also have a review coming up next week from Lua about that show and quick ad and PSA break and I'll be back right after so yeah. enjoy Hello everyone. Hi. Before the interview starts, I just want to mention that I accidentally stopped the recording at some point, but we got back into it really fast, like nothing ever happened. No, that's not true. We mention it, so you'll know when it stops. <laughs> but yeah, just a heads up. But you know, it doesn't disrupt the flow of the interview. It's fine. We're good. Enjoy. <laughs> Hello everybody. Today I have Cameron McKenzie with me. Hi folks. <laughs> So excited to talk to you, director of Men Express Their Feelings, and you're also ZZ's artistic and executive director. That's right. So um, could you start us off by telling what Men Express Their Feelings is all about? What does the story entail? Yeah, absolutely. It's a hilarious comedy uh, about two dads and their two sons. Um, there's a little scuffle out in the parking lot after one of their practices, uh, between the dads, in fact, um, not even on the ice. Um, and there's a little misunderstanding between them, and as a result, um, all four of them are made to stay in the uh, dressing room until they talk through their feelings. Mm. Uh, and the boys are not allowed to play in the game where the scout is coming. The scout's coming, and this could be their big break. Uh, so we're, we're locked in this room. The two dads, who've one's got a bleeding nose and the other one is um you know relishing in in the afterglow of a fight and their sons who are horrified that their dads are fighting um and that's where we we start the show mm -hmm. um and so you know it, the playwright sonny drake is is just incredible and of course he's um you know he's complicated things with with questions on on gender roles and sexuality and identity and and cultural impact as well um one of the one of the dads uh, is an Indian immigrant. He's an Indo-Canadian uh, dad, and uh, his son is first generation. So we've also got you know the the um, issues around around racism on the ice, uh, issues around um, like queerness and hockey. Um, so it's it's just uh, it's just a really funny funny show. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And the I read that the play is structured like a hockey game because it's set inside a, um, a hockey locker room. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's no actual lockers in the locker room. It's, it's not, <laughs> I was I was surprised myself. I, uh, <laughs> what I know of sports can fit into my teacup. Um, but um, yeah, so it's def it's structured like a hockey game, um, which I discovered. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're broken up into three periods and, um, we, we, uh, Sunny has like broken the timeline. So we go backwards and forwards, um, through flashbacks into what actually happened and what did the dad see in the locker room and what did the other dad see in the locker room? Um, you know, the, the, the complication between the boys becomes that, you know, they're exploring their sexuality and the one, um, the one actually comes out as pan sexual and mm -hmm. the other one um uh at one point you know we we he might be described as hetero flexible mm -hmm. um uh so you know there's a lot of like who done it to whom when questions that 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 we're playing with um yeah and it's it's uh as i say it's it's fun and it's it's structured like a hockey game so we get these um intermissions between the three between the three periods uh and we're going to maybe have a t-shirt cannon to play with oh the audience God. and um you know we might definitely bring the wave into it uh and and this is you know these are intermissions within the plays mm -hmm. hockey game they're not actual intermissions it's a, okay. it's a 90 minute straight through you get into the theater you sit down you leave 90 minutes later um but we're definitely going to do some audience play uh along the way okay yeah that was going to be my question when you said intermissions i was like wow they're going to have two intermissions <laughs> i know yeah two intermissions in 90 minutes guys um yeah no so it's an actual it's it's the it's the it's the hockey games intermission mm -hmm. um so it's you one know, act it's, play yeah so it's a, okay. it's a it's a one act um 
you know, if this was a, a different time, we'd have uh, we'd have people going around with I don't know beer, and you mm. could like grab a drink from you know during the during the show. And but uh, we're we're not in those times currently. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I just speaking of those times, I mean. I really just feel the deep desire to laugh right now. The world is so dark and uh, there's so much that we're struggling with. Um, And rightly so, rightly so, you know, we're, we're facing decolonization and the impacts of colonialism uh, on these lands, on these people. We're, we're facing, you know, um, a global awakening to finally to, to, you know, black and indigenous um, um, concerns and struggles Mm -hmm. and, and racism and, and um and wars in foreign countries that have never been here. Can we tell your listeners that you stopped the recording, Sarah? You stopped the recording. I was going to be very profound in that moment, but um I, I won't be profound anymore. It's the first time it's happened in four years. Uh you know, we all have off days. It's fine. We do. We're all struggling in a pandemic year. We're all struggling. We do oh, our yeah. best. But yeah, please but, continue. Uh, I'm know, so sorry. It's just you know, war, wars and in, in in what did they? I think they said something about like this is the biggest like land conflict fought since World War Two. Oh um, and we 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 need to laugh. We need to. We still we absolutely have to do the work to to better ourselves, to better our society, to better our communities. But we we also have to laugh doing that work. And I think I think that's what I love about the show so much is that it, as I said, touches on so many vital conversations, mm-hmm. uh, and also allows us to laugh and move through them. Um, yeah. yeah. You put it perfectly. I was going to say, I feel like comedy in form of art is really great in two ways where it offers you escapism and you can you know be in this fictional world and laugh and nothing is wrong for like I don't know however long but then also it's such a easy slash like a good way to um look at serious and difficult topics it's it's a spoonful of medicine analogy right you just (laughs) you just when you have to take your spoonful of sugar for the medicine when you have to take your medicine you take it with a spoonful of sugar (laughs) and it makes it go down um and we all need medicine right now and maybe a bit of sugar too yeah oh for sure we do yeah so um just going back to the structure a little bit um, Mm -hmm, before i go into the contents of the play um i wonder is it difficult working with such an unusual structure when it comes to directing and also rehearsals or is it just like just another play for you (laughs) (laughs) um no i think uh, we i actually find freedom in structure so Mm -hmm. um having something like this is a it's just it's really clear sunny sunny drake is just an expert craftsman Mm -hmm. um and so being able to have this kind of structured thing is create so much more freedom because we know what our parameters are. We know that like we take a breather here and then we get back into it again. And we, um, if anything, you know, he's, he's layered in this, uh, commentary. So the two, the two boys, um, kind of, uh, act as almost like sports commentators, but on this game, that is these four people talking about their feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, by by breaking out and almost hearing their inner monologues and their inner thoughts about stuff, A, it helps the audience like track through, oh, this is what's happening. But it also just adds this um, incredible freedom to to put people anywhere at any time, right? If we were if we were like over here in this part of the stage, well, we just break it because we have to start talking directly to the audience. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden they just like walk away from the action and talk to the audience for a bit and then like go back onto it. And there's it's actually you. We find that we've got a choreographer uh, in the room with us, um, and we find this like Tara Cheyenne Friedenberg who's incredible, and we find this such freedom in in this structure because then they just you know like on ice would just skate back to where the game sort of was halted a minute ago by the whistle kind of thing, um, and it's it, there's a there, as I say there's a freedom to to it that I I find really um, enjoyable and really exciting as a director. Very interesting. Um, and so you are, as I mentioned, the artistic and executive director of ZZ. Um, yeah, I, fa- I founded the company uh, 14 years ago now. So yeah. um, 
Yeah. That's a lot Artistic and executive sounds so fancy, well, doesn't it? It is. It's a great title. <laughs> Thank you. So as, please correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. as the artistic director, you kind of um, decide what shows will be happening during the season, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but you're also directing one of the shows That's that right. you chose. <laughs> so what made you choose and... Um, When to direct men express feelings, men express their feelings, what do you think stood out the most for you? Yeah, I think, I think the, the laughter piece was a huge, was a huge one for me. I think, uh, you know, um, we had actually wanted to do the show before the pandemic hit. This was going to be our pandemic season. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, we, we put everything on hold. We pivoted to digital versions. And then when, when I came back to looking at uh, the structure of the next, you know, two, three years of, of what's coming up when. Now, ZZ only does, um, up till this point, we only really do one main stage show a year, mm -hmm. um, which, again, is why I'm directing it, because uh, <laughs> that's my primary craft. That's why I started the company, was so that I could have a, uh, you know, I could, I could direct. Yeah. Um, and um, so for me, when I st started sitting down and looking at the structure of, you know, what, what have we done in the past, and, and what do we have coming down the pipeline, and, and um, you know, what, how, does, how does this season fit into the past season and to the, you know, the future seasons, I was just m reminded m more why I love the show to begin with, that, mm -hmm. that it really felt like um, it was important work. It, it's touching on racism. It's touching on sexuality. It's touching on gender roles. It's touching on, on you know, toxic masculinity. I think, uh, you know, before, before the pandemic, we were, we, were, we were still dealing with, like, you know, mm -hmm. with Me Too. So, like, we, we're not done with any of these things. Yeah. We haven't checked any of these things off our list, right? Just because we're not putting up a black square on social media doesn't mean, like, the problem is gone. Like, yeah. these are still this issues that we're struggling with in our society and within ourselves. And so um, it just felt like it felt like everything that we've been talking about over the last few years, but it's funny and it's a way to like laugh and enjoy theater and come back to the, the live performing arts um, uh, in a way that's, yeah, that's easy. And, and, and you want to go back, right? I, I don't want to go in and, and be lectured by anything right now. Like mm -hmm. I, I know everything is shit, <laughs> but I want, I, I want to laugh. Um, And then, why, you know, and then there's all sorts of other reasons, right? Like, um, you know, Sonny Drake is, is a, a trans uh, male playwright, and, and I would say he's, you know, one of Canada's uh, sort of preeminent trans male playwrights. I would argue mm -hmm. that he's one of Canada's preeminent writers, just mm -hmm. point you for now. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely want to make sure that, that the, the playwrights that we're, that we're, um, that we're hiring, the, the shows that we're, we're bringing in uh, come from, you know, div more diverse communities than, than you know, ne necessarily is on main stage, main stages around, around uh, the city and around the country. Um, we, you know, the, the show that we did last season, the season of the pandemic was um, called Transcripts, Part One, The Woman by mm -hmm. Paul, Luke, The Women by Paul Lucas that was absolutely beautiful and, and was highlighting um, seven trans women stories taken from real interviews. Uh, and so this felt nice to, you know, dive into some, some male stories, you know, as far as like the arc of where we were and where we're going. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think those are all the things that are, were swirling around in my head. <laughs> when I was when I was deciding on the show. Yeah. Oh, perfect. And does Easy ever bring back shows? So. Yeah, I mean, we we um, my funny Valentine we did in year three for ZZ, mm -hmm. uh, and then I think we brought it back in year five because the um, the court case that the play was actually based on um, resolved, and so we felt like we could we could actually wrap the play in a, in a way that we couldn't when we first did it. It was based mm -hmm. on a, a, mur a, a real life murder that happened in um, in California, mm -hmm. um, and then for ZZ's 10th anniversary season, um, we the show that we brought that show back and we actually sent it on tour. So a way to like uh, celebrate some some work that kind of put ZZ on the map a little bit, um, mm -hmm. as far as that as far as that that really hard hitting work that is serving a purpose that's really bringing people's attention to something that should be uh, looked at, but but that uh, isn't necessarily you know preachy and and um, isn't uh, isn't just about isn't just about entertainment mm -hmm. so we definitely did we definitely have in the past yeah. brought brought work back uh, and then of course our, our uh, little elbow room sort of 
mini franchise, not really a franchise, but but Elbow Room Cafe series. So um, we created the Elbow Room Cafe um, originally with Studio 58 um, and using all of their students. And that was a sort of playing ground and experimentation ground to uh, to develop the show. And then um, Heather Redfern at the Cult um, brought us uh, into the season and, and presented us. And so we, we did the... the, the um, sort of professional version of that and then uh the cult also brought us back to do a holiday at the elbow room cafe so the same characters but just sort of in the same world but just in, in different times um yeah yeah okay um so <laughs> i'm sorry i <laughs> i just i really enjoying listening to everything you're saying and it takes me a while to gather my thoughts <laughs> No, 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 it's all good. Um, I was going to say, so, yeah, so even though it's not, um, like, you don't know yet, there is a possibility, like, it's not impossible for you to um, do men express their feelings in the future again. Oh, sure, absolutely. I yeah. I, I really love the play, and, you know, it, it, it's always about, it's always about is there an audience for it, and mm -hmm. is there a reason to bring it back, right? Like, what did we not say about it the first time, or what did we not engage with the first time? And, mm -hmm. If it's you know if it's if it's a runway hit a <laughs> runaway hit you know you, you never know yeah yeah I exactly. think it's going to be a runaway hit but whether or not you know audiences are brave enough to come back to the theater and whether yeah. they're they're excited enough to um, come and see something like this I honestly that's always the question I think it'll be great because I've seen a couple plays since the restrictions lifted and um, theaters are at full capacity again and oh my god isn't it exquisite it oh, just feels like yes. so luxurious. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, it's so wonderful. And it, there's it's always a full house. So yeah. I'm sure I'm sure people are going to eat this up too. Um, Great. Yeah. March 19th, we <laughs> open at the Fire Hall Art Center. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Would you we like run to till April 3rd. Remind us where people can get tickets? Definitely. You can get tickets uh, through ZZ's website at www.zztheater.ca. That's Z-E-E-Z-E-E. -E -E -E, theater spelled the Canadian way, dot C-A. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll link all the way into the Arts Club's, uh, not the Arts Club, into the Fire Hall Arts Center's um, ticketing system. And uh, you can get your tickets that way. Perfect. There... I'll also say that for um, uh, for sports teams or teams of any sort, um, there is a, a promo code Go Team uh, that if you call in, if you call in to buy your tickets um, to the Fire Hall Art Center's um, box office, then uh, you get a you get a discount. I think it's like twenty percent off um, whichever price you uh, you choose. And the Fire Hall Art Center's number is six zero four six eight nine zero nine two six, and that's Go Team for twenty percent off. Oh, that's amazing. It's such <laughs> good information. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your lunch to talk with me. That was amazing. Thank I'm you. Thank you. Really excited to see this play for myself. And yeah, thank you so much. Great. You take care. There is a drinking water settlement for First Nations. And the claims process is now open. The settlement includes $1.8 billion in compensation to some individuals and First Nations subject to long-term drinking water advisories from November 1995 to June 2021, and $50 million for eligible individuals who suffered specific injuries due to these advisories. If you are a First Nations member impacted by a long-term drinking water advisory, you may be eligible for compensation. You will also have free access to legal advice and support while filling out your claim. This is the first drop in recognizing the communities impacted. For more information or to submit your claim, visit firstnationsdrinkingwater.ca. Looking to get a reliable and affordable used bike? Need a repair or service to your current ride? Come to the Bike Kitchen, UBC's full-service community bike shop, located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. Our hours are Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. If you buy a bike from us, bring it back when you're done using it and we'll give you half of your money back as long as you took care of it. If it needs repairs, we'll split the cost with you. Yep, you heard us right. 
we'll give you crisp dollar bills for half the original price of any used bike that you buy from us, minus the cost of repairs. For more information about our buyback policy and to stay up to date on any COVID-19 inspired changes, find us online at thebikekitchen.com. Hello. Hi, we're back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Cameron McKenzie about men expressive feelings. Uh, just a couple of things I would like to mention. They have a pay what you can performances. So as you know, usually tickets have set prices. But if you go March 20th at 3pm, March 27th at 3pm and April 3rd at 3pm, you can pay what you can to see men express their feelings. Also, March 24th at 7.30 p.m., they have an ASL interpreted performance, which is amazing. And March 26th at 3 p.m. is a relaxed performance, which is for neurodivergent people who might get overwhelmed with um, a lot of <laughs> stimulus that, you know, that is um, not very bothering for neurotypical people that is, you know, um, normal for plays such as this one. But if you go to a relaxed performance, it won't be as stimulating. So that might be preferred. And you can get your tickets at firehallartscenter.ca. Again, that's men express their feelings. Uh, before we go into our last thing in the agenda, which is the Cloud Album Tour, um, I would like to mention talk about just what I thought about Cloud Album. So Cloud Album started, it's an exhibition that is currently on at the Polygon Gallery in North Vancouver, and it started March 11th. I was lucky enough to attend a curator-led tour on March 10th before it opened, and it's honestly, I feel like this is the type of exhibition you should see with a tour or read about it before you go to see the gallery uh, because there's just you know if you go in without thinking about or without knowing anything without reading up on it it's just going to be a bunch of pictures of clouds and uh, books about clouds <laughs> and you're going to think why do they have a full exhibition about this well turns out <laughs> clout photography on its own, it's it's such a complicated thing and stems back to a long time ago. And they had like cloud weeks, international cloud week, where people took pictures of clouds at the same time every day for a week from different parts of the world to see how clouds differentiate, how the sky looks and it's all very interesting and I'm I'm very happy that I was able to take the tour because I now know so much more and it's all very interesting and I definitely recommend seeing it and if you want to do a guided tour on Saturdays and Thursdays they have guided tours at 1:30 p.m. RSVP is required and also valid vaccine card is also required and tours are by donation suggested amount is usually $10 uh, you can donate online prior to your visit or you can make the donation in person at the polygon when you arrive and donations of $20 or more are eligible for a full tax receipt and to book your spot you fill out a um What's it called? A quick, a quick form. <laughs> if you go to the polygon.ca and then events to cloud album guided tours, you can find all of this information. They have tours in French, Cantonese or Mandarin. And yeah, I would definitely recommend again, that's on Saturdays, Saturdays and Thursdays. And then they also have Kids First Saturdays. So Kids First Saturdays is an opportunity for families 
of all kinds to create an in-house art project based on the exhibitions being shown in the gallery. The projects are geared towards children ranging in age from 5 to 12 years old, though there is no age requirement to participate. And all children must be accompanied by an adult. I feel like that's that's a given, but you know, just want to mention. And also admission is, again, by donation. Uh, the Polygon... Besides these two things, like the guided events, the guided tours, and the kids' first Saturdays, the Polygon as a gallery is also by donation. So if you ever want to go to the gallery and see the exhibitions, it's by donation, which is amazing because you can donate as much as, or as little as you want. And Cloud Album is going until... <laughs> Oh, when is it going until? Let's see. <laughs> Give me one second. It's it's there for a while. Um, and it's, I feel like they're working on other exhibitions right now. So it might be the only one open right now. But yeah, it's going on until May 1st. So you have a lot of time. Before we listen to the, the guided tour, I... I want to mention some things that had me, you know, thoughts that I had after taking the tour, such as, what do you consider clouds? What do you consider being clouds? You know, you don't really think about clouds on your day-to-day -day life. You might look at them, you might think they're pretty. On a pretty sunset, you might take their pictures, you know. But do you really think about what con what is being considered as clouds? Like, are the the like the I guess the cloud quote-unquote cloud left after behind a plane is that a cloud or after an explosion is that a cloud what is cloud what is not a cloud and I feel like this exhibition does a really good job making you ask that question and as one of the curators um Timothy <laughs> mentions uh just as like as you think about this more, the more confused you get and the less you know about clouds and the less you know what clouds are, <laughs> which is, it's very interesting because clouds aren't things that you think would make you question a lot of things, you know? Oh, well. But yeah, so also they talk about a Cloud International Week, which I just mentioned, which is really interesting. And they talk about the exhibition a little, and then we start. So when you enter the exhibition, we start the tour from the left-hand side. There are three paintings. We start with the painting, and then we go clockwise and follow the, the exhibition that way. And at the very end, we are in the, the little room, on the right-hand side, they're showing a Japanese film from the 1930s there. And also, it has a really pretty view of um, not North Vancouver. You're in Vancouver. You're in North Vancouver when you look at it. So, so you have a pretty view of Vancouver, and you see the sky. And as Luce mentions... I don't know if it's in the <laughs> if that's in the audio anymore, but she said, "I can't imagine a better place to end the tour because the whole exhibition is about clouds and cloud photography and art about cloud and how cloud photography became a thing and <laughs> And, you know, at the end, if it's not a cloudy day, not okay, if it's not a, uh, you know, a day where you can't see any clouds, it's the perfect place to end the 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 exhibition, the tour, because you get to see them in person. But yeah, so I think before we go into the tour, let's really quickly go into an ad and PSA break. And then after our Adam PSA break, we will go directly into the tour. And that's going to be that it, it all for the show. But yeah, um, enjoy. A Tribe Called Red is the Hallucination with their new record, One More Saturday Night, featuring Javier Mighty, Tanya Tagak, and more out now.
interested in making radio, how about hosting your own show? At CITR, you can make your radio dreams come true by joining a collective. From news, art, sports, to gender empowerment, accessibility, music, and the BIPOC collective, there's definitely something for everyone. Explore new worlds both virtually and at our station, and be prepared to have a blast with some new pals. For more information or to join, please visit citr.ca slash getinvolved. Established in London in 1991, the Archive of AMC, it's a repository for lost and forgotten stories that lie hidden in, fo- in the photographic record. Initially focusing on conflict, AMC's holding have grown to over 8 million images, and it now acts as a laboratory as much as a traditional archive, producing books and exhibitions such as this one. Uh, and now I will pass the baton to Luce Labart and Timothy Pruss. Thank you, Michael. I was just thinking earlier that it's actually been 25 years in its inception, this show, because sometime in the mid-90s I started collecting photographs of clouds, quite separately, loose, started writing about clouds for uh, her thesis, uh, and uh, it's actually been... uh, the actual building of the show has just been in the last two and a half years, really. And uh, very excited to see it uh, opening today. But uh, I guess we should get on with uh, looking at the things. I don't know, I could start with that yeah. wall if you... Yeah, maybe uh, we could just say that it's, um, it's very moving for us to have uh, this show starting here in Vancouver, and especially in the Polygon, because the... Uh, the, the place is so well situated. I mean, from the gallery in the, the space over there, you see the, the sky, the skyscape, which is beautiful and so wide and so extraordinary. And we, we're very happy also because we have, uh, uh, we can show some Canadian clouds studies from even 19th centuries. And uh, there's a, a great diversity. You'll see that uh, you, there's a great diversity of clouds, and we've wanted this diversity from the beginning, and this diversity uh, is uh, dear to work over modern conflict. I mean, you'll find some uh, cirrus, cumulus, different forms of clouds, but also clouds of pollution, uh, clouds of explosion, contrails. Uh, you'll also find, uh, uh, you also see uh, different kind of photo of clouds, uh, photos that have been taken from above, from the ground, uh, close-up, uh, stereoscopic views, fake clouds, all kinds of photo of clouds. And in a way, this exhibition is also about the history of photography through uh, this uh, thematic, through, through clouds and the, through the sky. Chronologically, we should start with a quick look at this yeah. wall of John Constable paintings. And he was perhaps the first painter in the Western tradition to bring the sky to life and to try and paint actually what he saw rather than a schematic or uh, like a copy of uh, other people's way of looking. And in his earlier cloud studies there was still a vestige of the land, of a little house or some trees. But very quickly he came to just focus on the sky itself and why it's proto-photographic is because he anchored it in time and place so on the reverse of these you get exactly where it was painted the time the weather conditions so as well as being extraordinarily aesthetic they are also documentary pieces and lead so well into photography and of course as his gaze at the sky got higher, you lose the ground, you, in effect, enter a world of abstraction. And there is a way in which these uh, prefigure a lot of the painting of the 20th century, both in their abstraction, but also in their expressionism, because he was super sensitive to how clouds reflected emotions. And uh, that's something we all do naturally, is uh, 
project our emotions onto a cloud. So we have very different feelings if we're looking at a gloomy, thunderous cloud, or if we're looking at a light, wispy thing against blue. We, we tend to project the kind of different emotional feel that uh, the clouds have. And it's interesting for me to see these because in many ways they're more successful than the first attempts to, uh, to represent clouds in photography. And I think that's a good cue for Luce to talk about the early, the earliest uh, attempts at uh, there is a kind of, of parallel that could be made between uh, the very beginning of uh, the sky in art history, in painting and in photography. Because first the sky in painting, medieval skies, were mainly uh, golden or then blue, and progressively atmospheric perspective appear in painting during Renaissance. And at the very beginning of photography, uh, uh, it was very difficult to get uh, the clouds, to catch them, because processes were not instantaneous. So the long time exposure would uh, bring too much light the, and would burn the negatives. And they would appear, the sky would appear like very chaotic when printed. So photographers had to find solution. Most of them were painters. And they knew that painters excelled, excelled at representing the sky. So they tried different methods. And the most uh, uh, well-known method and practiced in 19th century was to paint in black the sky on the negative in order to hide the defect. And then the print would appear, the sky would appear white. And this became a kind of fashion and a style. Scars were white. But of course, the critics and the photographers themselves, they felt frustrated. So they invented different methods, such as uh, here they could uh, paint on the negatives on cloud forms. They could use uh, fake clouds. I mean, used, uh, take two views, one for the sky, one for the ground, and then bring them together. And uh, here you have a beautiful example of a picture, a photo by Gustave Le Rouget, made in Normandy in 1856, 57, sorry. And in this view, uh, he's, he's managed to make a seascape in one uh, shot. Nobody believed it was a photography because that was, skies were not part of photography. And he used a special process, which is called a wet collodion, um, which was complicated to prepare, but which was a bit more instantaneous. And you can see that he mastered the, the way of playing with light and shadow. He was a painter. He was trained as a painter with, in uh, Beaux-Arts in Paris, like Roger Fenton, the British photographer who made this photo in 1855 in Crimea, during war, Crimea is considered as the first war photographer. And you see that his sky here is totally white because he focused his exposure on the ground. Photographer had to choose in between the ground or the sky. And most of the time they chose the ground, especially when it was about documenting the war. And progressively, uh, with uh, these new processes like wet collodion and then instantaneous photo process, many, many photographs of cloud have been produced, notably in the meteorological field because photography allowed meteorologists to make collection of clouds. And meteorology was burgeoning, was developing as a modern science, and they needed meteorologists, they needed to um, get on, uh, on the name of clouds and needed to make an, make an international cloud classification in order to use the same word to, to weather forecast. So that's how photography was first used in meteorology to make huge inventories uh, of the form of clouds and to compare them and to help to build the nomenclature. And, but this happens, happened a bit late, from 1879. I've just next along the wall got the great uh, Canadian cloud photographer, Alexander Henderson. And I always, when I look at them, I get a sense that uh, he was really passionate about the process and excited by what he was doing. And the printing is wonderful, and I find them exceptionally uh, 
moving in the way he's uh, played with the light and worked the compositions. And uh, I think quite soon he'll be a lot better known outside of Canada because he's equal to anyone from that, uh, that date. Yeah, what is uh, uh, moving here is that from the treetops you can also kind of feel it's Canadian. It has something Canadian also because of the wildness of the, the sky. Uh, now that we, we enjoy Vancouver and Vancouver seascape, we understand that uh, they, these are, I mean, they couldn't have been taken around uh, Paris. There's a very funny one here, uh, an Italian photographer called Simelli. And he was uh, employed by the Pope to take photographs of, uh, uh, of, uh, of clouds and actually produced a wonderful early book about clouds. And here, here you see examples of stereoscopic photography of clouds where the images come together and you see them three-dimensionally. And uh, these are particularly early ones from the 1850s recording clouds caused by explosions. Mm. And as you sort of go down this wall, you enter a little bit more the 20th century, slowly but surely. I think it's always, for me, useful to remember that clouds are water, and water isn't fixed like a rock or a plant. So it's very hard to catalogue. You couldn't really uh, uh, catalogue clouds properly before photography, because the damn things won't keep still. <laughs> Just on this wall, there's showing some different kinds of uh, explosions and cloud forms. That's a volcanic cloud and clearly the nuclear clouds. And then... Uh, and then this one yeah. is a kind of satellite vision from 1869. 1969. <laughs> and it was made by Apollo 9. And it's very interesting because it's a view that was impossible before, uh, before satellites. And it's a vision, they've desired it, and they've tried many uh, methods and devices to get this image, to understand how the clouds look like from above, from far away. And we show at the beginning of the show, when you enter through the stairs and after, uh, notably, uh, some plates from the famous, totally unknown, overlooked Cloud International Week. It was organized in 1923, and during one week, many observers from all over the world uh, were asked to photograph the clouds following a spe specific device at the same time at different moments in the day. And then all this material was gathered, and they tried to make, uh, to reconstitute, you know, to remake what happens in the sky during one week all over the earth. So the result is that many photos of clouds have been produced <laughs> and accumulated. Not always, they've not always been preserved. And just maybe here we can have a look through those uh, huge drawings. We've enlarged them because we love them. And they uh, belong to one of the versions of the International Clada class. Uh, this version is from 1932. The first one was made in 1896. And it's very interesting, this one, because each photo is uh, accompanied with a drawing, like a diagram of it. And it reflects the difficulty of um, identifying a cloud, of naming it. And a photo is never a type. They were trying you know, to establish typology of clouds. What is a cumulus? What is a cirrocumulus? How it looks like? And it's a bit like in botanic. Often uh, many photos were produced, but in books, like of botanics, it's mainly drawings. Because drawings are easier to understand than uh, photos. And it's very interesting because many uh, meteorologists would criticize photography, saying uh, all those photos that are made are no, they have no use, in fact, because uh, they record things uh, in a disorder without uh, simplifying them. And the result is that uh, here, there are in this version of the Atlas, more than 300 beautiful plates with drawings that, uh, that have a strong aesthetic, even if they haven't been produced with an artistic uh, purpose. I never, never really believe what, uh, or understand what a cloud is, even after <laughs> 25 years of looking at them hard. 
I'm more confused as to what they really are than I was at the beginning. So diverse because you move along and you see the northern lights, the aurora borealis in these two here. And again, another kind of cloud, but... Maybe we can have a look to the album that has yes, given the name uh, exactly. to this exhibition that is called Cloud Album. This is one of the most exceptional cloud albums that uh, we ever came across. The originals in the vitrine. Yeah. It's exceptional because it gathers uh, photos that have been made uh, in many different places that have been collected by, initially by a Belgian meteorologist called Jean Vincent, who was preparing uh, a, a new classification of cloud, a personal one. And uh, he gathered uh, many images that have probably uh, belonged to exhibitions that were organized, notably during the year, International Year of Cloud, organized in 1996. There were many like uh, big uh, exhibitions of clouds, and each of these images tells so many stories. At first sight, you would think, well, there are clouds. It's a cloud, a cloud. And then you can think, oh, this cloud is a, is a cumulus. You can try and name them, see. And the more you look at them, the more, to me, they, it's a bit like when you're in a crowd with people, you don't know anybody, and you don't distinguish the faces. And, and the more we, we're in, into those clouds, the more we we see their personalities, their characteristics, their soul, and... Then I guess apart from the albums, we've uh, exhibited a lot of books yeah. that uh, also chart the history of cloud photography, and oh, that's a that's very a, pretty the one. The first uh, international cloud atlas that was uh, produced in 1996, and here you see that the plates are not black and white, they've been colored in blue and white in order that, uh, to allow, uh, to distinguish better the, the cloud forms. Here there's a little bit more to do with the relationship between aeroplanes and clouds. The famous American photographer Steichen there with the, the plane absolutely dwarfed by the clouds. And I think we tend to forget that Clouds can weigh tons and tons. They're not, they look light, but they're extremely heavy objects. And also in this section, you see the contrails, the, uh, the clouds that are left behind by, by aeroplanes. And, uh, and actually, the First World War led to a, not a renaissance, but a extra energy in the study of clouds. And we've spoken that the International Cloud Week in 1923 brought people from all the different sides of the First World War together with a common interest because they'd all been studying the clouds from their aeroplanes and then after peace uh, uh, was achieved they had a lot of uh, information and images to swap. It's uh, interesting to see how um, there's always, not always, but often the texts describing the clouds that are seen and uh, albums provide a, a wonderful source of uh, uh, images for uh, the archive overall. And then in the vitrine there, there's a, 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 something to be said about the popularisation of cloud imagery and how it became a thing in uh, production of postcards, but at least you should talk yeah. about uh, So this album is kind of interesting because it's um, an archive album from a, a, an agent, a studio who would produce notably postcards and it reflects this uh, taste for sharing a piece of sky or a sunset uh, which uh, with color it uh, raised uh, the success of those kind of postcards raised and of course it prefigured a bit uh, uh, the success of hashtags, uh, Instagram hashtag and uh, this is a bit the archaeology, uh, kind of archaeology of uh, Instagram um, uh, photos and practice. They are kind of banal in a way, it's, uh, yeah, banal, yeah, yeah. it's a kind of banal imagery, a bit stereotype uh, imagery but it's part of our imagery, our collective imaginary. And we love it, we love sunset photos. <laughs> we all love it, still today. Uh, 
this Japanese meteorologist, he filmed clouds for 20 years uh, on uh, the movement of clouds of, on Mount Fuji. And he, he used the photography as well and cinematograph films to try to understand better uh, how clouds form, how they, how they work, and uh, there's a lot of also poetry in it. So it's very short films that he made regularly, every day, uh, at different moments. And he started as well around 1923, uh, at the time when this Cloud Week was an international Cloud Week was organized. We are all, uh, just by our very natures, have a tendency to read landscape or faces or pictures into the clouds, which we're really projecting from inside ourselves. So it's a great word for it, pareidolia. And uh, I, I, I'm fascinated by why that's the universal of the human uh, condition. Last two, how did you get into collecting cloud photography and how did you find out more about cloud photography? Uh, that was a really long process, but I find with any kind of genre of photography, once you start to look, that's mm -hmm. when you start to find uh, more. It was hard at the beginning to find anything, mm -hmm. you know, the odd thing came along. But as you get more known for collecting a particular yeah. thing, it tends to fly out yeah. of the woodwork and make its way to your, to your door. But it has been uh, such a long time in uh, growing the cloud photography collection. Mm -hmm. um, Thank you so much. No, really yeah. glad you could uh, come. Okay, hi, that was the the curated lettura of Cloud Album at the Polygon Gallery. I hope it, you enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. That has been the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. This is Sarada Unju, and I'm going to be back next week, so I'll talk to you then. Goodbye. Um, so that's how I ended up here for my master's and, and stuck around, as you said.